Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to, and I apologize for uh, slaughtering your name before I say it, but it's Gennady Samokovarov. You were close, yeah. Hello, everyone. I'm Gennady, Gennady Samokovarov, and I'm from Bulgaria. That's why the weird name. Uh, Yeah, but it's great to talk to people all over the world and kind of, you know, see where your story is a lot like ours and where your story is not a lot like ours, you know, for ours being the listeners. Right. And, and just, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that sounds like what I went through and Oh, wow. I didn't realize that about, you know, Bulgaria or, you know, wherever you grew up. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Um, yeah, let's let's dive in and get your story. But before we do that, I just want to uh, quickly shout out. Um, you've been doing some interesting things in the Ruby community for a while. Do you want to just yeah. talk about that for a minute? Cool. Uh, okay, so I think my major contributions in the Ruby communities, uh, in the Ruby community, are around Rails and around conferencing. So I'm a Rails contributor, and I'm the maintainer of uh, the Web Console Gem. This is this debugging tool that you see mostly on your error pages, but you can actually use it to debug your uh, Rails applications as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talked that, about that. I just want to plug it here. We talked about that on episode 386 of Ruby Rogues. So you can definitely uh, dive into that. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Cool. Um, so this is my main uh, like Ruby work. I have a few smaller gems, but they don't have that much traction as Web Console. And I also have a um, few features sneaked in into Rails as well. Uh, other than that, I have been doing uh, Ruby classes in Bulgaria uh, and doing a Ruby conference in Bulgaria called Balkan Ruby, which is an international conference. We are doing it for the second year this year. And yeah, I think it's turning out, turning out good. good. Um, very cool. So, yeah, this year we have um, Aaron Patterson and Aileen Uchtel as keynoters. We just closed our call for papers, and in a few weeks we'll announce our lineup. Awesome. Well, let's let's dive in here and talk about you for a little bit. Um, do you want to tell us how you got into programming? Cool. Um, so I think I have this uh, pretty banal story of getting into programming through video games. Uh, so I grew up in Bulgaria in a small town called, called Pleven. Uh, and uh, I was born right after Bulgaria um, went out of communism. Like we were part of the Eastern Bloc and it fell. So a good uh, way for you to make money was to uh, travel to the neighboring countries, uh, get some goods, come back home and um, sell them. 
So that's what my father was doing. And on one of his trips, uh, I think it was in Turkey, uh, he brought up home um, a video game console, a video game system. I think it was an Atari, Atari 2600, something like this. Uh, oh, the good old days. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we put it in into the TV and nothing happened. So oh. <laughs> we're like, something's wrong here. And we, we pried it open and there was uh, no electronics inside. It was just a plastic shell. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and I still remember this day. I was like, no, what, what's, this, uh, what's this video game thing? Uh, uh, so a few years later, we got a new video game system. We got a Nintendo. And um, that's how I was basically hooked on computers. Uh, and, you know, maybe this broken console kind of just whetted my appetite on what this console, what those video games are about. Um, so that's how I got interested in computers. And eventually uh, I got I got a computer at home. And uh, during this time, um, around here in Bulgaria, all the software was pirated. There was no tech support and stuff like this. So in every neighborhood, you had the local kid who was fixing your computers. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I became this kid out of necessity. Um, I don't know. I have been. Um, I remember the story of me uh, uh, talking with a friend over the phone, and um, he was reinstalling his Windows, and I was able to tell him the serial number out of memory over the oh, phone. No. <laughs> wow! <laughs> <laughs> so many times. <laughs> so things like this, you know, I was always breaking computers, taking them apart, um, getting them uh, working again, stuff like this. And mm, this happened uh, throughout uh, high school. And um, I got um, introduced to the internet in a kind of weird way too. Um, when the internet was coming into town, we uh, um, we had very slow and limited access to the internet. But uh, because of the situation in Bulgaria, you were able to just uh, pull cables all, all across town uh, without any concerns, no regulations. And we had a very fast internet. So we built our very own chunk of the internet in our hometown. Uh, we had BP forums, we had torrent trackers, we had uh, uh, FTP servers, we had news portals. <laughs> all of this stuff hosted on oh, local wow. machines, which was pretty fast. Um, so I participated in this community in a way. Uh, I was always trying to uh, get more performance out of uh, uh, my computer, and trying to get to, to play video games better in a way. And um, writing, I was writing articles in the local forums, how to optimize your windows, how to stop all the services that you don't need, how to clean up your registry, um, stuff like this. Uh, so this was my first interaction with the community. Uh, it was not like the Ruby community that we have, but uh, like the the way people interact, the way people work together. Um, it was an interesting dynamic. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we used to do interesting stuff. We Because we only have like limited kind of internet, we used to pull it and download movies collectively and then share it for the whole, um, for the local, uh, to the local internet. It was pretty interesting uh, dynamic building your own part of the internet just because we didn't have fast access to the to the rest of it um, so that's how I get into internet and eventually through those um, interactions with the community I decided to host of myself so I got into Linux um, 
and I didn't didn't realize that uh, programming was a was a job. To be honest, I was thinking that you know just fixing computers, uh, uh, hosting stuff, you know, working with other people's software is the way to go. Um, but eventually, uh, you know, especially uh, spending time with Linux. Uh, and I had Gentoo Linux, which is very interesting. Gentoo. Gentoo. I remember building my own Gentoo. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was a pain to, to maintain, but um, I learned a lot of Linux throughout mm-hmm. it. I remember like compiling Firefox for three days and uh, um, watching movies in the terminal, <laughs> in the frame buffer in between. Um, so it was a pretty interesting experience having to build your own, build this Linux distribution, maintain it for a while. And um, I learned a lot of Unix uh, through this. So eventually I decided to get, get into programming and um, bet a little bit more on maths and uh, go into the university. Uh, so I started programming um, around my first university year. Um, I was already hooked, but uh, I had to spend my last high school years uh, preparing for the university um, exams. Around here, you don't get into the university by, uh, um, you know, having uh, participated in uh, extracurriculum activities or stuff like this. You have an entrance exam, which is very competitive. So if you want to get into a good school, you got to compete with the rest of the uh, Mm -hmm. high school students. So after I got into the university, I got hooked in. Uh, I got hooked with Python. I really liked Python. Uh, our job market here is uh, heavily focused on Java, C sharp, maybe a little bit of C plus um, But the dynamic languages, it was mostly like PHP at the time. I I never got into PHP. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, it's funny you mentioned that because, um, I mean. I'll, a lot of these communities um, are more active than say Java and C sharp, but the flip side is, is that there are a lot more jobs I I think still in Java and C sharp just because there's so much legacy code in it. So yeah, Yeah. you know, a lot of people you're going to talk to, if you gathered all the developers in any given area, you're going to find a lot of Java and C sharp developers. Yeah. And I think it's, also, like the, it depends on your local markets. I have seen Morubi development yes. in like Central Europe, but here it just so happens that we had um, more of this enterprise software or um, stuff like this. So I was getting um, getting into Python, and I had to find a job to support myself. Uh, and I found this uh, company that um, was building these payment terminals um, that was placed. Uh, that were placed in the subway stations here in Sofia. Uh, and uh, surprisingly, all of the software was written in Python. Uh, so they hired me straight uh, after my first year, I believe. And it was a very chaotic job. Uh, there was not many processes. There were, uh, there were not many uh, structures. It was just me and a senior developer who was not around most of the time. So I got to do... Um, a lot of th- a lot of things. I didn't do web actually. I did uh, um, I did like softwares for fiscal printers. I was sending uh, raw bytes over the serial byte port <laughs> with. Python. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, you just got this manual and reading through it, just sending bytes. I, I I was feeling like I was writing a driver in a high level language. It was. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I get to write a lot of um, like software for embedded systems for um, like door indicators, whether like the safe, the door of the safe was open or not. Um, software to update the main software that we had. Uh, I had to optimize the UX because it was written in Python. In, it was this was like seven or eight years ago, um, with um, something like WX WTK. Um, Anyway, I had to do so many different things to get um, the whole software working. Uh, and I, it was a great introduction for uh, first job because I was still able to go to the university. Uh, I was working on absolutely everything. So I wasn't specializing in a small area, you know, and I got to learn a lot. Um, so, so how'd you get into Ruby? Um, okay, so... When I started writing Python, I saw Ruby and I saw that, and I wasn't interested in it because at the time uh, it looked very similar to Python, and I was like, I already know Python. Why, why, why do I need to know another language that looks so similar? Um, so I took a class in the Walker University, in the Sofia University, about Ruby, and I was just blown away. It, it was nothing like Python. Uh, its object model was. Uh, so much more cleaner. I know it just ticked for me. I liked it so much more than uh, uh, than Python, even if they looked similar at first to me. Um, so I learned I learned Ruby. I, I liked Ruby. I wrote a lot of uh, small projects in Ruby, uh, but I was a Python developer for three or four years before I got my first Ruby job. Um, Actually, I after this uh, first job, I got a I, I got a job at VMware. They have a local office, and I was still a Python developer. We did DevOps, so lots of um, tooling for the developers. Uh, that's how I get into web programming, mm-hmm. and uh, I had to write a bit of Django, so I instinctively checked Rails, and I really liked it, but I didn't have any experience. I didn't have like a project to test it on, mm-hmm. and um, during my high school Linux years. Um, I was using this software code MIXX to learn to DJ, and I saw them that they participated in uh, Google Summer of Code. So I kept this idea of participating in Google Summer of Code in my mind um, during my university years, and I uh, just found that um, Rails was participating in Google Summer of Code. So mm-hmm. I applied because I had some I, I had some open source um, contribution before I was, uh, I have been doing some backbone JS work, if you believe it, that was maybe 2012, 2013, mm-hmm. uh, back when backbone was still this really interesting way to build uh, web applications. Um, and I think that this helped me uh, get into the Summer of Code program for Rails. And um, that was my actually in- introduction to writing Rails. I didn't get to write the Rails application first. I get to write uh, this um, Rails extension ideas uh, first. So I first deep dived into the Rails internals, not into Rails applications. Um, so I, I got into the Google Summer of Code program. I, I was mentored by uh, Guillermo Iguaran, who just let me run wild. Uh, that's when the web console. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> that's when how the web console idea came. Seriously, like the. The idea was uh, we wanted to put a console for Rails application. We wanted to execute some Ruby code on the browser, and that was it. We didn't define that it needed to be a debugging tool, uh, nothing, nothing like this. So, 
I was able to work on the idea itself and um, prototype a few uh, implementations. Um, so Web Console started as uh, just just a way to execute Ruby code on the browser first. Then we turn it into a terminal emulator in a way, um, and then uh, and then uh, then we we prepare it for inclusion in Rails 4.1. And David said, "No, no, no, this uh, this cannot work." Uh, so he came up with a with a debugging idea. So I got to interact with uh, DHH pretty early on, which was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, pretty interesting to me. Um, so seeing this dynamic of getting Rails built on people's free time, it was uh, super interesting to me. I I really love this process. Like nobody demands anything from you. Uh, we're and everybody understands that you can contribute this. This is fine. Uh, this is your time. Uh, we cannot demand more from you. Uh, but it's still collectively it keeps on going the development doesn't stop and even though nobody almost nobody is paid to work on rails full-time so yeah so it's interesting you decide to get in you're doing google summer of code um it sounded like though you were still really in the python world when you got into google summer of code so are you spending most of your time these days writing ruby then or python or something else okay so I was working for an enterprise company. I was working for VMware. So, mm-hmm. and I went to the HR and I, told, uh, and I told them, look, I got accepted into this uh, program. Is it a problem for me to uh, spend time off work to work on it? Uh, so they said, let me just get back to you. And eventually they said, no, Google is our competitor. We want to, you have to choose um, either do the program or um, uh, work for us, so I decided to quit, and I spent. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I spent the three the three months uh, uh, working for um, uh, getting paid by Google and uh, working from home remotely. Uh, but I was in a good relationship with uh, the local VMware office, and they took me back afterwards. Uh, but I lasted three months, and they found me a ruby job. I just wasn't able to <laughs> to go back into it. So I had a little bit of a period where I was back and forth, but um, since 2013, I'm, I've been doing mostly Ruby full-time. Awesome. So what are you working on now? So right now I'm um, working at a company called Seedbank. Uh, we're we're uh, writing uh, bookkeeping software. Surprisingly, we're not a bank. Um, so we are uh, collecting receipts uh, and we, we are helping uh, accountants uh, input data into accounting system systems more easily. What you do is uh, you take a picture of a receipt and you send it to us and we are using machine learning to extract fields out of it and um, um, prepare it in a way for you to export it into an accounting uh, software system. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, most of the... You know, informational system thing is uh, written in, in Rails, and the machine learning stuff are, ironically, we're still using Python for those because mm-hmm. Python has what what's fitted this for them. Uh, and we are a, we are a UK company, but um, almost 100% of our development is done right here in Bulgaria, and we're also remote, so everybody is working from wherever they want. We have a we have an office, but it's more of a luxury. Like a nice thing to have, and uh, nobody is obliged to go to the office. Um, oh, nice. And we're 
around 100 people spread over Bulgaria. Most of us are here in, uh, here in Sofia, but we have uh, lots of other um, developers spread out throughout the country. Um, it's a pretty nice place to work for in Bulgaria. It's uh, pretty non-stress-free. Uh, we have a big uh, Rails code base, uh, interesting challenges, and we're glo- grow- growing almost we're almost doubling our customers every year. So um, we're still growing. Very cool. So you're still maintaining the web console, Jim. Do you have any other Ruby projects that you're playing with? Uh, yeah. Besides web console, I'm still maintaining it. Uh, there is no much, there is not much uh, more new development in web console. In a way, it's kind of done. We have ideas for uh, new features, but I don't have that much time to work on it. Uh, anymore and it's mostly maintaining it uh, throughout the releases. Um, other than that, I, I have been doing um, a few few things for else. Uh, I have, um, I'm working on this new feature called actionable errors, um, which is a, a way for you to resolve errors straight from the error pages. Uh, for example, when you have a pending migration, we have a middleware in Rails which uh, stops you from doing any uh, work in the the, in the, your development environment and we're telling you you have to run your migrations to continue. Um, mm-hmm. Right now you can you can run the migrations from a button on the error pages and this mechanism is um, generic enough so it can be used by Rails plugins. For example, uh, you install Active Admin and you forgot to run the right task to initialize it, to install it. Uh, Active Admin can detect that and raise you set, raise such an error that tells you, do you want to run the uh, Active Admin uh, install rate task right from the browser, and you can set up yourself uh, from the browser. Um, oh, nice. So this is a new feature that I'm working on on Rails. Because Web Console allows you to, um, to execute arbitrary code on your machine, um, Rails was susceptible to a series of um, hosting attacks. Uh, even now, if you have a local Rails server, you can go to dnsrebinder.net, I think, and in a minute or so, uh, the calculator of your Mac will pop up um, on your screen. This is a well-known um, attack in which you can um, um, reattach a, a domain to localhost and force uh, JavaScript to to hit it, so in a way you can hit your own local uh, Rails server if you have it running, and with a bit more clever work you can execute code through Web Console. Uh, so I fixed this security issue in Rails 6 as well uh, through um, through a host whitelisting mechanism. This is pretty uh, common thing to do. For example, mm-hmm. Django has a similar mechanism. Uh, so if you upgrade to Rails 6, you won't be susceptible to this attack. So we work working mainly on small um, um, Rails features like this in my free time. I also have uh, smaller Ruby gems um, like an active model serializer, uh, alternative code serializer without the E mm-hmm. at the end. Um, but nothing is as popular as um, uh, Web Console. I have a popular uh, command line uh, to code jump. It's written in Go. And it's kind of like auto jump. I don't know if you used auto jump. Uh, so if you have lots of, um, if you're working on lots of projects, it integrates with your shell, and it scores every directory that you change into. 
and you can use fuzzy matching to go into directories. For example, I can go to Web Console by just saying JWC. And it oh, will nice. go to Web Console. I can just say WebC and it will again go to Web Console. I can say J Web Console and make a typo and it will still go to Web Console. Uh, so, it, so it learns your habits in a way and it um, uh, tries to get you to the folder with uh, the minimal amount of um, characters typed. Uh, so this That's is, cool. Uh, yeah, you can check it out. I can give you the link. I, I I really like this project. Yeah, go ahead and put the link in the show notes and, or in the chat and it'll wind up in the show notes. Cool. Very cool. So th- those are my uh, popular projects. And yeah, um, other than that, I'm um, um, I'm organizing um, the Balkan Ruby conference and I'm also organizing the local uh, Ruby meetup here in Sofia, Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. It's called Ruby Banica. Um, so it has this website built in Rails as well. It's open source, but it's nothing interesting, to be honest. Um, um, I'm curious, how did you uh, come about to organize uh, Ruby Balkans? Um, okay, so Balkan Ruby um, came out of um, Eurocom. So I have to wind back a bit. Um, in 2015, I think, I went to um, this European conference called um, Eurocom. Mm-hmm. And um, Eroku is this really interesting um, idea. Every year, it's organized by different people uh, in a different city in Europe, mostly because the attendees in, in, in Europe. And they do this. You do a regular conference, and uh, at the end of it, uh, you make people to pitch their cities. Uh, so people come together, they um, throw ideas of which should be the, ne- the next city you organize the conference in. And um, when when I went to Evroco, me and my friends said, why not uh, uh, pitch Sofia? Mm-hmm. So we have the next Evroco in Sofia. And um, we made a presentation, we pitched it, uh, and it worked. People <laughs> people voted for us. So I got so we got to organize Evroco. We didn't realize that we will organize the conference. We thought that People would just come and organize it, but uh, no, it's... Uh, <laughs> Surprise! Yeah, basically, Rook works like this. Uh, <laughs> it has this huge marketing. Uh, lots of people... It's, ve- it's very popular in the local Ruby community in, here in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people just come. Like, you sell tickets automatically. Uh, and every year, you just give it to the, to the next group of people, and they organize it. And that's how it goes. Right. Uh, so we got to organize Uruku, and this was our conferencing school in a way. Um, and it was a big conference; it was 700 people. Um, so, so we learned how to organize conferences, and afterwards, we wanted to organize our own. Um, we wanted to do Balkan Ruby, but um, we weren't able to make it in time when there were no other um, major Ruby conferences. Right. So we we made another one called PartialConf, which was about functional programming on the web. And the the year after, in 2018, uh, we started Balkan Ruby. And this will That's be cool. our second edition of it. Uh, it's a smallish conference. Uh, last year, we got around 150 people. Maybe we got around the same, around the same this year as well. Um, but it keeps... Um, there will be the local Ruby community going, and uh, 
we have a very healthy conferencing scene here in Bulgaria. We have lots of local conferencing conferences, mm-hmm. uh, but we don't have that many international ones. And I think this is changing as well um, with um, with our conferences. And um, it's a purely international conference. Nothing is in Bulgaria and everything is in English. Uh, people from Europe come, come to see it. And I think it's healthy to showcase our uh, community. Uh, because we have a small community, but it's pretty interesting. I think that's uh, really great, and and I love like the the local flair and the local community, and yeah, just bringing it all together. Um, how how is the local community? I mean, you, you organize the meetup, but uh, is there a strong Ruby community there? And and what kinds of things do you feel are different from maybe the rest of the world and their communities? So we have a very small community, but it's very vocal one. Uh, we do lots of events. We do, um, like, the, this month we'll be making the 12th Rails Girls in Sofia. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So this is pretty popular here. So Ruby, as a uh, as a skill, you know, as a in- industry, is not that big here in Bulgaria. We don't have that many companies. Um, so we're just... So if you want to work for a local company you will be working with your friends in a way. Right. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, it's, it's it's small, but um, very vocal. We do lots of events. We do, um, one of the problems that I think we have is that uh, right now, for example, my company, we have like a hundred of Ruby developers. And if our company fails, uh, our company fails, I don't know <laughs> where they will be able to find jobs. Right. Um, so you have to be um, trying to find like remote work. Um, it's not really as um, well developed as uh, you know the um, Java or C sharp uh, right. industries. Uh, but we are very competitive because we are that many that that small. We are very competitive. Uh, we can offer you a very competitive salary compared even to the Java industry. Uh, so it's. It's a good place to be working on. You don't get to, you know, not everybody is like a Ruby developer. Not everybody is a web developer. Um, but the small community that we have, it's very active and uh, very, uh, very vocal, very, um, very explicit. Cool. So Rado, Rado Stankov was uh, on your uh, on your show like a few episodes back. Mm-hmm. Um, he started this conference which travels around uh, the country like lots of the speakers and the organizers are from the ruby communities um we have um, a very big uh, open source uh, conference called openfest um again lots of the people involved in it are still ruby developers uh, we have a few local products which are built with ruby um local for our market um so it's Growing slowly, but kind of, kind of growing. Still, it's small, but mm, yeah. I don't know, it's still active. I think that makes sense. Yeah, I find that a lot of the programming communities are growing, and it's funny because a lot of people are, you know, they'll look at the percentages and it's like, oh, well, JavaScript took over, you know, this much more, and uh, Ruby's percentage dropped, you know, here or there, and yeah, but the Ruby community grew. It just didn't grow as much as JavaScript, and so um, I'm, I'm seeing that in a lot of places. Um, a lot of the programming communities are growing and it's, it's good to hear that it's growing out there too. Um, 
Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out on about on the show? Um, yeah. So I've been reading this book um, called AI Superpowers. It's uh, a really interesting view of the future where um, most of our jobs will be automated and how society will be able to cope with that. Uh, and I think even you in America, you're, you're seeing this. I think you have a candidate who wants to introduce um, universal base income and he's running for president, Andrew Yang. Mm-hmm. So people are starting to talk more and more about this. And uh, as someone who works in the machine learning sphere in a way, uh, it's kind of interesting to me how how this accelerated uh, automation that we're doing will impact the society as a whole. Um, so this is a very interesting book. It's called AI Superpowers. Uh, and it views China, it views the Silicon Valley. Um, it's a, it's an interesting view um, for what's going on and how it, how we are disrupting uh, society through technology. I can give. Them. Yeah, it's it sounds really interesting, and it, it's, how do I put it? It's it's an interesting debate that we have around it because um, there are a bunch of different schools of thought on where we're going to end up right so we've got um uh we've got the people who are saying the ai is going to take over all the jobs and uh you know or a lot of the jobs and so yeah you know do we need a universal you know base income or you know this or that or the other and then there are other people that basically say uh, well we've had innovation before and it always winds up creating more jobs as well so you know on balance is it going to do that and AI is different enough in my mind to where I don't know, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, some people are so certain that it's, you know, we're going to have to have people that are paid to, you know, paint or draw or whatever, right? Or do whatever artistic thing that they do because the AI will take it over. I, I think we're going to see some of that, but I don't know. I don't know if those jobs just don't get replaced by new jobs or I don't know. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It will, it will probably create other jobs that we didn't know existed in a way. And uh, Yeah, but enough can. to offset the jobs that it took away. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Uh, I think that's... Uh, some people are, are worried because it's getting um, here quite faster like than, than the Industrial Revolution. So, yeah, yeah, we'll have to see. It will be destructive for sure, but how? I don't know. I'm just <laughs> kind of curious um, around it and this debate. Um, yeah. Like automation. Yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. But also what really gets interesting is once we get to like a, a general intelligence. Because yeah. right now our AIs are fairly focused. Yeah, they're very good at like uh, narrow things to do. do you, yeah. If you give them lots of data, they're very good on like making inch, um like in sh- at insurances at account at accounting at uh, even uh, giving uh, proper uh, law sentence based on lots of facts, uh, but they're not good at uh, general thinking. Uh, right. Who knows how far we are from that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that um, I am planning on starting an AI podcast this year, so oh, really? we'll see where we wind up with that, but. 
yeah, I think that's going to be a thread that runs through it is, you know, where is this taking us and what does it mean? Because it, it does have some potential um, implications for wider society. Yeah. Um, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks of my own. So this last week I went down to San Francisco for CodeBeam. Um, I know a lot of folks in the Ruby community are interested in Elixir, and this was a Elixir Erlang conference, and uh, it was awesome. It was it was a good time. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of early Ruby community conferences that I went to. So, and I don't know if it was just because it was a small conference in a small venue or what, but it was it was really great. So I'm going to pick CodeBeam, and then um, I'm also going to pick San Francisco because uh, we were out on Fisherman's Wharf. And when I go, went out for my run, my daily run, you know, I just run all along the bay, and that was that was awesome. So I ran out on this pier, and anyway, it was it was super. So I really really enjoyed it. San Francisco um, is a great great place to be. Yeah, great place to visit. Um, all right, Gennady, um, if people want to find you online, where do they go? Um, you can find me on Twitter at G Samukovarov. It's a very long name. You can find me at GitHub with, with the same handler at G Samukovarov. Um, and uh, you can check Balkan Ruby, balkanruby.com. Um, it's 17th and 18th of May this year in Sofia, Bulgaria. Uh, and it may travel around the region in a few years' time. We're not there yet, but maybe in a few years. What What countries are considered Balkan countries? Uh, so the Balkan Peninsula is um, from Croatia uh, down to like Bulgaria, Macedonia. So Bulgaria, Macedonia, Serbia, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, you can consider them. Um, like south, the southeastern part of Europe is kind of the Balkan, okay. Balkan area. Is, is Greece considered part of the Balkan? It, it can be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure technically, but it can be, yeah. I was, okay. you, you just said Balkan Peninsula, and I'm like, well, it's kind of down there at the end of yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, sure, sure. Cool. Uh, All right, good deal. Well, thank you for coming. This was a fun chat. Thank you so much for having me. You too. All right, well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up, folks, and we will be back next week with another Ruby story. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.